everyone. Welcome to Struggle Session. I'm Leslie III. I'm Jack Allison. And today we have a returning guest, uh, Mr. Michael Saba, who we've had on the show before. We had a great episode. We're so happy to have you back on, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great to be back. A good timing, a very uh, auspicious occasion on this day as we're primed for our, uh, I don't know, do we want to call it a victory lap? How do we want to <laughs> set the stage here? <laughs> well, of course, Michael, he is for- formerly worked at uh, CNN as well as RT. And the last episode we had him on, we talked about Russiagate as it was then. The unfolding the hysteria and mike actually uh emailed me about three weeks ago saying hey let's come back on there's more stuff uh happening and we kind of had to push it back a little bit um thankfully we did yeah, we pushed it back idea. to exact, yeah. the right moment <laughs> <laughs> because wow it's um over i guess uh, I well, guess. Leslie, as of right now, I mean, we only got what we it, we only know what Barr said, Leslie. <laughs> Mueller might have said something completely different. It all might be there still might be secret indictments, Leslie. <laughs> Yo, but that's it, right? Like talking about oh, the secret sealed indictments, or you even had uh, what's her name, this representative from California, Katie Hill, going on MSNBC or CNN and saying like, oh, we've seen stuff that you people wouldn't believe. Like uh, we've got the real information. <laughs> ships that, on you know, fire. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. it's now the new. Key. It's like so quickly just becoming Q2 before our very eyes. Well, I'm going to call it as, you know, from my lips to your ears, never forget that you heard it first on Struggle Session the last time around. This sure. is 100% the birth certificate conspiracy for liberals. It yeah. died in the wool at this point. Yeah. In that it was almost in that it was like, except that uh, uh, this started as opposition research from the opposite party uh, yes. and the birther certificate started as opposition research actually from the same exact person from the exact <laughs> same person. From the exact, John McCain has are, fingers in all this shit. God damn yeah. it. Literally, it's it's just the Hillary Clinton camp. Both Hillary Clinton campaigns were so bad that they spun off conspiracy theories that like nearly that just derail the entire country. Well, so that's that raises an interesting point, Jack, is that it's not uh, yet Hillary did pick up the ball and ran with it, just like she ran with so many of that racist oppo research against Obama that we mm-hmm. seem to have conveniently like put out of our mind. But uh, Hillary actually uh, the Russiagate dossier, the, the whole, you know, Peter Steele uh, dossier, that was actually a Republican op by the oh. Washington Free Beacon. Wow. Um, right, like, I do remember that. I do it remember it started as that, right? Like Bill Crystal style neocons. I think Bill Crystal himself might have been involved, but just your your regular gaggle of Republican of neocons who conducted this opposition research against Trump. And then once Trump got the nomination, I guess the guy who was shopping it, I think it was like John McCain might have handed it off to Hillary Clinton's campaign. I'm not sure like who had their hand in what cookie jar. But yeah, I mean, wow. they said, all right, well, it didn't work for us. So here, take it, Hillary, and run with it. It is interesting, though, that these are things that just like started as like, like paid for opposition research and then sort of got. I read the Matt Taibbi article and I thought it was pretty good. Have you read that yet? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a I think it's a pretty great breakdown of everything we've seen so far. I mean, he's got a good caveat in there, which is that, hey, you know, this could all still be botched, like as right. as we've we've seen with these massive media fuck ups, like they might not even be getting this right. So there may be more twists and turns down the road. But I think it's it's a pretty good summary of the facts as we know them so far. The thing I thought was so fascinating was just like how this gets turned from paid for opposition research into a news story. And that's in, you know, the the materials like changing hands, like it became newsworthy by James Comey uh, uh, briefing Trump on it. Like that's what made it into a newsworthy piece. Uh, uh, I thought that was really interesting. And when he talked about it, like uh, uh, how short sellers use the same technique to like drop stock prices, I'm like, 
wow, so this thing like really was just sort of like campaign research, and when we all got fucking pulled down the drain for like three years over it. Yep. Yeah, and it's it's worth taking a break just to explain for people who haven't been paying attention. And uh, thank God if you haven't, yeah. Uh, yeah. What? you don't know you're about this. It. You're what fine. You're, you're going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what RussiaGate is and what the Mueller report, or at least the summary, says about it and why it kind of stopped it dead. So RussiaGate is a lot of, means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But generally speaking, I think uh, the theory eventually became where. There was proof that there was collusion between the Donald Trump campaign and the government of Russia the Russian government. directly right. Right. to that, that Putin uh, himself personally okayed right. this the operation. Kremlin. Yeah. Yeah, there was some kind of operation to get Trump elected, and there was proof of this. And it wasn't just the Russians were doing it without Trump's knowledge. Trump's team, his staff, him personally, possibly knew about this, approved of this, was encouraging this. And we've heard for months and months, like, this was it. This was going to happen. And the Mueller report basically says, and I can quote uh, the summary by Barr here, which is, the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinate with the Russian government in this election interference activities. And, and th- what I like, like about that sentence is that even if you accept that the Russian government was trying to get Donald Trump elected, which we, in session, we do not uh, necessarily accept um, that premise because we've talked about on previous episodes, like the ev- evidence is rather flimsy. Uh, if anything, we just, right. fi- we just have like some accounts that may be uh, posting the- from Russia on I- Facebook I- I think about a lot of different that things. Maybe, like Russian intelligence ran some like very cheap you know operation to just sort of sow chaos online in many countries like they were just buying they were just trying to get everybody all worked up it was just like a trolling campaign that's exactly it because you know when these first indictments came down the pipe shortly after we did the episode last time around you know when the indictment of um you know he filed here's the 12 indictments for all of these russian intelligence officers internet research company right yeah this was after that um this was you know they named specifically like 12 grew you know, Russian intelligence officers who were involved in all this stuff. Um, But, you know, and again, you know, nobody actually like reads the research. But if you went in and like read the research and intelligence uh, that that was being cited to support this conclusion, the point they made was that, you know, as we just said, this was not a targeted op, like, you know, Putin demanding that, okay, you know, you're going (laughs) to specifically like move the ball down down the yard line for Donald Trump here. Uh, This was part of the great game cyber espionage that advanced industrial nations do to each other on the reg. Like this was part of a massive effort to target Israel, target Saudi Arabia, target the Emiratis, target Western Europe. Like they were casting a very wide net. This was not a targeted op. We do the same thing. Israel does the same thing. Saudi Arabia does the same thing. This is how geopolitics is done now. Yeah. Also, by the way, you know, uh, so I think if anything, you know, uh, this is this is just me, you know, and, and I, I'd like your perspective on this. But I'm like, if anything, I think that the Donald Trump campaign's digital strategy is using a lot of alt accounts and coming up with like fake movements and shit like that. I think that's why, like, Michael Cohen had an account of like women for Cohen that was saying mm-hmm. he was hot and shit. That's also why, like, they have these fake movements like Blexit and Jexodus and shit like that. Yeah, like, I think yeah. that they just like the digital campaign, like they talk about the 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 Trump bunker I remember like even before the election last time and they were talking about their digital campaign and how granular they were able to be with their ads and stuff like that this by the way of course was back when Facebook was allowing people to like 
you to target people like based on race and shit like uh, that I, on Facebook. I can target this person because they believe in white genocide. Yes, right, they, exactly. That is one of their interests. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think that if anything, if there was any real, like, if I'm going to like actually say, you know, the Trump campaign paid Russians to do posts, it's probably just because in digital marketing, a big part of all digital marketing now is bullshit and click farms. It's like buying yeah. a bunch of fake hits to like make it go to the top of the list or whatever. And all these click farms and fake retweets and favorites and fake accounts and shit, that's all like in Russia and the Ukraine because it's like that's where the cost of living is low enough that it's like worth even spending all the time yeah, doing you, a click you, farm. You can like, run a troll farm out of a warehouse there. But right, yeah, it, you, you hit the nail on the head there. And so like what's going on here is not some vast exploitation of the Internet or oh, using social media and exploiting it like this is the the digital marketing driven internet as it was intended to be used and right. we, we touched on this in the last episode but all they did was use facebook and use twitter as the platforms are intended to be used right. to spread certain points of view right now the thing is facebook you know was breaking the law by allowing people to, like right, like yeah, they were sure. breaking the law by like allowing realtors to exclude black people from their ads like that's right. illegal for them to do it's illegal for them to let foreign nationals buy ads that go to americans during an election that's all facebook's problem like facebook's whole philosophy was like move fast and break things and you know maybe they did break a lot of things you know what i mean yeah. But diving back into what Russiagate was and how people yeah. talked about, it, they weren't talking about any of this really. They weren't talking about right. like they, they were they were telling people they weren't telling people that like the guy who runs Facebook is going to go to jail. They were telling people, and you could see this on Rachel Maddow, CNN, every single night of the week. They were telling you and your parents, especially, yeah. that this is going to be the way that. Donald Trump goes down. Well, he's treasonous. He did the, treason, is what they right, were saying right. like for three years on television. I swear to God, I'm like, something happened. Something happened in this country where, like, when when there's someone of a certain party, you know, in office, all of the other all of the other media has to become like the op the opposition media has to be completely conspiratorial and insane. <laughs> like that, that's, that's what happened at Fox. Now, yeah, yeah. One other thing to really keep in mind here is that it's not just that they were saying that like, oh, this is going to be the the magic bullet kill shot that brings down Trump. But you, you know, we were being told that this is like nine eleven. This is a right. new Pearl Harbor. <laughs> you know, Time yeah. Magazine ran that fucking brain dead cover where like the White House and St. Basil's Cathedral had like yeah. become one, even yeah. though St. Basil's is a, is a religious landmark. It's not, yeah. there's no government. And it actually rules. St. Basil's Cathedral yeah. is fucking cool. It's just next to the Kremlin. You right. It's just nearby. <laughs> so, so that's the, the context for all this is that we weren't just told that like, Ooh, this is going to be the, the thing that finally gets rid of Trump. But it's also that there's a clear and present danger because Russia is dictating us policy and Oh my God, they're going to dismantle NATO and right. they want to get rid of sanctions. And Oh, Oh yeah. He's my God. What a, what a horrible him do thing, NATO! Before our very eyes, he was on TV doing treason. <laughs> yes, and so if you caught any of that, unfortunately, on MSNBC, you saw all your liberal e heroes from the um, Bush Obama era, like go down this like extremely bizarre path. The the Rachel Maddow clip where she talked about how the Russians were going to shut off our power plants, uh, yeah. like mm -hmm, all mm -hmm. that shit. That's so Glenn Beck. No, no, let's, let's, so let's, let's, that, we, that, we need to like pour that one over for a bit because there was, um, yeah, an electric utility in Vermont got, you know, they said, oh, we've discovered maybe, you know, there were Russian hacker, hackers who attempted to penetrate our grid. And, you know, of course, MSNBC ran with this breathlessly, like, they're not stopping at the election. They're going to freeze elderly Americans to death in their homes in the dead of winter. And then later it came out a month later. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, 
a dumbass contractor got some malware on our system and it might have been Russian. Sorry, <laughs> y'all. Like, <our> bad. <laughs> Which is, of course, the same thing that happened with like the DNC emails, right? Yes. Like yes, Michael, right. uh, John Podesta just like gave his password to somebody else who may have been in russia and that's how the emails got leaked and that's kind of like the bedrock for all for a lot of this stuff because it's hard to talk about because there's so many different things that all get rolled into this this idea that russia influenced the election right now sometimes that manifests itself in you know these stories that like possibly russia hacked election machines which you know didn't have a lot of credibility to it sometimes it wrapped up in the dnc emails sometimes it it was the facebook ads and like when you put all those little pieces together if you ever take us like a minute to just actually look and isolate any of them they don't seem if they don't seem like complete bullshit, they do seem really small and petty compared when right. you look at like a $2 billion election, right? Yeah, so they right. don't really seem like that, you know, significant considering how much money, time, effort was spent on the whole of the election trying to get Hillary Clinton elected right. and how much the media was like, uh, you know, and like it didn't seem like they, the Russians did nearly as much to help Donald Trump get elected as like CNN and ABC News. Absolutely. And it's, yeah. and All CBS the like television did. executives, like, you know, fucking Jeff Les Moonves. Jeff created who, Trump. Jeff yeah. gave him a whole second lease on life. I mean, you know, SNL maybe is a little more responsible. Jimmy Fallon ruffling his hair well after he said all that demented and racist shit. Like, my God. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, you know, you can't lay it all at any individual person, but I'm like, I actually do think that, like, the tele, like, our television media, like, so excited to get the free ratings that were just Mm -hmm. up in the air and thinking that there would be, like, no consequence for it. You know what I mean? They're just like, it's free money. And, like, the best thing about it is it'll never matter. It's like, well, Sorry, guys. Like, <laughs> you played with fire. Yeah. And so when you look at all those pieces individually, like, they don't, they, you know, they all fall, kind of fall apart. But when you have this miasma of all those things mixing together, you have all these people, you, then you can really can convince people, um, even reasonable people, even people, some people I respect that if we don't know what happened, something definitely happened with Russia and right. Trump. Like, something about this is real. We wouldn't be talking about it this much for this long if it wasn't real. And with the Mueller uh, a document and his findings, it kind of suggests that maybe it wasn't real. Like maybe it was all just like a bunch of bullshit. Maybe all just all these little things that don't really add up to anything on the whole. And ultimately, Russiagate was never um, anything of real significance. And the reason that Donald Trump was elected was because um, Hillary Clinton ran a shitty campaign that didn't inspire her voters to come out. And Donald Trump just turned out Republicans. And <laughs> that's basically it. Cause he and not did- even like the most Republicans ever. Like actually, one of yes, the less yes. lesser amount of Republicans for an election the turnout was down in 2016. The problem yeah. was that turnout had collapsed so precipitously on the Democratic side that like it couldn't make up for the deficit. Now you could make the argument that they were suppressing turnout by buying Facebook ads, but you could also make the argument that you can encourage turnout by running a good campaign that gets people excited to vote for you. You can also talk about how the uh, they suppress turnout by the Republican Party suppressed turnout right. by like you know passing racist laws all right. over the country to stop black people from voting. Imagine like for the if last, we like fifty years. Yeah, as imagine we just got to experience here in Georgia. 
Yeah. Imagine if we spent the last two years talking about that as much as we did Russiagate. Which, by the way, do you remember when Obama was leaving office, like before Russiagate got started and everything like that? That's actually like what he was saying he wanted to focus on. Like when they mm-hmm. were, mm-hmm. when Hillary was going to win, he had this like big plan of he was going to leave and like work on like, you know, gerrymandering or whatever. I don't think that ended up happening. I think he just made, ended up making like, fucking tv shows for netflix and like yeah, you know, trying to elect resistance candidate richard branson's yacht you know it got in his yeah. blood he got a little taste of the good life uh, <laughs> yeah i mean you know uh the thing is though that you know a lot of there's a lot of uh back and forth and you know even from from people that are like a little bit surprising to me uh, on twitter you know sort of defending uh the media obsession with russia gate over the last couple of years you know there's this argument that you know, the reason why people were worried about Russiagate was that they thought it might distract Democrats from, you know, moving left or something. Uh, and they've moved left. So it actually doesn't matter. I disagree with that because I think you're looking only at like a couple Democrats. I think that like a lot of the establishment, like most, you know, powerful Democrats actually were very distracted by this stupid bullshit for uh, these two years. And also, Trump's going to fucking run on it. Trump is going to run on this and he's going to run on it like effectively. Like he's going to be able to make the argument that anything I promised that didn't happen is because I was being obstructed by this thing, which is fake. Two years of these brutal lies from the fake yeah. news organizations. But finally, my hands are going to be untied, folks. All yeah, the shit, definitely. all the shit that he's saying for all these years about fake news and it's no collusion and everything like that. His base was starting to like disperse. People were losing faith in him. Like this is the solidifier. <laughs> like this is like this is them like once again getting caught like with their fucking ass in their their ass in their hands and like <laughs> just handing another victory to Trump. Well, it's it's not just that, Jack, because I. I saw a little bit of that this morning. I couldn't help myself. You know, I do searches on Twitter and trying to see sure. what people are saying. And I, um, you know, I saw a little bit of that. This like, oh, you know, so what? You know, like, oh, uh, we were wrong about this, that, and the other thing. We all know Trump's awful. We all know Trump's corrupt. Like, let's keep our eye on the ball here. He's a massive, awful, racist, white supremacist. Like, why? We, we can't, you know, waste time patting ourselves on the back. All you lefties, like, come on, just get in line and let's worry about getting rid of Trump. And it's like, no, fuck you first. But no. So let's like, We've seen over the past, I guess, like year, two years now, how like Russia mania has been used as a cudgel right. to silence and deplatform the left to a far, far, far greater extent mm-hmm. than for, you know, right wing outlets like what happened with Infowars and everything else. You know, you had Truth Dig, Alternate, uh, Common Dreams, Mint Press, Democracy Now, even the Black Intercept, Agenda like, Report, Black even Agenda like Report, RT, which, RT, by the way, yeah. they like said that RT can't be on like Twitter anymore. Like, what the fuck's that all about at this point? Yeah. So you had all of these, uh, you know, left leaning progressive news outlets that were deranked, deplatformed and are now a lot harder for people to hear from. And and not just that, but you have all these like, oh, combating fake news, fact checking initiatives mm-hmm. that have been taken up by companies like Microsoft and Facebook. And like the Facebook one is like what really, really gets me, because when they announced that, like, oh, yes, Bill Crystal is going to be helping with our initiative to fact check uh. fake news, like <laughs> the guy who sold us the fucking war in Iraq right. is now the guy fact checking fake news, like, give me a goddamn break. So you have right. you have all these issues. But like what I'm really concerned about is the existential one. And it's why I kind of say fuck you to all the people who say like, oh, this isn't such a big deal. It's like we're two minutes to midnight, y'all. Like we are now on an extremely aggressive posture towards Russia. We've withdrawn yeah. from the uh, intermediate range nuclear forces treaty. Like there's all sorts of scary possibilities around nuclear escalation that we're not 
you know, that were not real or that would not have been considered like when Trump was just starting his presidency. But because of this, you know, partially because of this relentless drumbeat of xenophobia and, and you know, outright hostility towards Russia, like that's where we are now. And we need to take a reckoning of that and how we got here and just casually brushing it aside is, is you know, it's malpractice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, and by the way, it is now even still being used as a cudgel against the left. I don't know if you saw this. Like, uh, there's like now there's like accusation. Like, hold on, let me try to find this David Frum tweet from this morning. If you want, like, an well, idea I, I have a good of what one. The from new Red Scare has done to us. While you're looking for that, I'm gonna read you the Steve Stephen Molyneux tweet. I just checked out oh, the Don, no. R slash oh, the no. Donald just to see what their victory lap is going. Oh, no. And um, his is. Jesse Smollett faces years in prison for falsely accusing someone of a crime. What is the penalty for falsely accusing a president of treason? Oh, wow. Well, po- <laughs> apparently it must be the death penalty, Stefan. <laughs> here's, here's one. Uh, so this is David Frum. Stefan Molyneux, people like know he's ridiculous and everything. But David Frum is like the, you know, Judd Apatow retweeted. He, the he's good woke conservative. Now. Yeah, he's totally they woke love him. Yeah. He's very woke. He says the conservative vi- uh, conservative vindicators are concerned to protect Trump. The hard left vindicators are conter- concerned to protect Putin's Russia. <laughs> Who is concerned to protect America? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, liberals. Thank you for the new Red Scare. Thank you for the new uh, cudgel to use against the left. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, at, at the end of things, like, where are we now? Like, we have just seen an intense ongoing propaganda campaign Mm -hmm. to goad us into i guess i don't know why they wanted this but i guess we've got a more antagonistic posture towards russia now uh and as we now know you know this narrative was probably we have like 95 percent certainty at this point that this narrative was completely 100 percent false and it was delivered by some of the same people who helped lie us into the iraq war like bob Mueller and jim comey like yeah two people who presided over extensive cover-ups of abuses by our (laughs) national security agencies you know like these are the worst people in the world why do they have any credibility to begin with (laughs) right exactly there's that clip of bob Mueller like saying like we have good you know we have evidence that iraq has wmds i'm like well okay so this is the guy that we're all basing our trust in i love by the way that you know we were supposed to you know trust Mueller and wait for Mueller. all the people that said we were supposed to trust and wait for Mueller are now being like fuck Mueller. i know better than what i saw on television <laughs> like oh yeah no no the, i've already seen it yeah Mueller's a plant Mueller got paid off or right. you know they they've got him locked in a cage somewhere and now it's william mm-hmm. barr running the show like that's reality what? is not going to get in the way of this conspiracy theory well, it is so funny well the reality like, you know, is that Mew, he is like a republican he's a that's what he is. fbi <laughs> head of the fbi kind of guy cop, you know cop, what i mean cop. He's a cop. Yeah. He's probably spent the last, like, by the way, you know, and this is, you know, there's no way to actually measure this or know if this is true or anything. But I feel like if I was Robert Mueller and I saw, and I'm a Republican and I see nothing but people, like, all the Democrats on TV, like, loving me so much. If I saw any of the shit about all the Democrats being like, we trust and, like, love Robert Mueller, I would be like, ugh, this is, like, annoying. Like, <laughs> I'm not, like, that would, like, set me on a path of, like, wanting to exonerate Trump. So all those people who, who were, Horny for Bob Mueller, you are the reason you that Donald Trump is going free right now. <laughs> the thirsty tweets. Can you imagine? Oh my God. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really so here's, all- the other th- here's the other reason why I think this is actually like very, very bad is I think now, I mean, we're already seeing it from a lot of Republicans. I think now the Republicans are going to run in 2020 on how did this investigation get started? I think they're once again going to run 
on the fucking Hillary Clinton campaign. Yep. And I think like effectively so. I think we're going to hear about Fusion GPS nonstop. There's yep. going to be new investigations. It's a new way to talk about crooked Hillary. And to be totally honest, there's a little there there. Yeah, it's almost like we've handed Trump something that plays exactly to his strength. Almost like the people in charge of this shit or a little bit like, oh, I don't know, controlled opposition, and they'd rather have Trump in charge than, I don't know, a more scary lefty challenger. I don't know. I'm just I'm spitballing <laughs> just here, spitball. y'all. <laughs> possibly, possibly. Well, I, I think we've, uh, for now, um, put the nail, final nail in the coffin for uh, Russiagate, unless, you know, there maybe, maybe there's some new twist. Maybe the far-right racist attorney general will suddenly have a change of heart. But get, just keep crossing your fingers out, uh, yeah. out there, folks. Uh, yeah. It might happen. Now, so, now, Mike, so let's, one, one thing real quick. Let's all, you know, let's shout out the people who got it right, because, you know, all, all of your woke faves at, you know, Vice, and even, like I said last time, my beloved democracy, democracy See now the intercept like once the indictments came down they were all like oh of course you know there was trump russian collusion it's just a question of right. degree but like really you were wrong and there needs to be a moment of contrition about this but god bless you know struggle session shout out to media roots radio abby and robbie martin yep. uh glenn greenwald the moderate rebels mm -hmm. podcast truthdig.com you know mm -hmm. all of these folks were on the right side of these issues so yeah. in the future, Halper, yes. and it was really yeah. hard too i because won't shout out michael tracy though because even though he was right he's fucking annoying he's <laughs> <laughs> like that's one of the I actually think that a lot of the reaction to people like wanting to not see people be snotty about Russia is just like Michael Tracy. I'm like, he's still I can say that he was right about Russia, but also think he's an obnoxious dick. <laughs> yes, What's that onion meme heartbreaking? The worst person you know. Right. Made an excellent yeah. and, and it was hard too because as the months wore on, it was like people kept like more and more people on the left kind of started peeling off and said, you know, there must be something there, you know, and like we were, we stayed strong and we stayed true and we deserve, you know, all the, that praise you just gave us, uh, Michael. <laughs> and thank you so much yeah. for it. Of course, of course. Yeah, and, pra and praise to myself as well, y'all. I mean, I'm radioactive yeah. at this point. I'm probably never... I had CNN coworkers like reach out to me after the podcast aired and, oh man, it was like, you know, hey, congratulations. You know, you're even more unemployable now <laughs> wow. than you were before, you know, like... Well, welcome to the club. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, right? which is so funny, by the way, because the way to stay employable at CNN and any of these cable news networks, all the like big media houses is to be wrong all the time. Never not be wrong about everything. And then you get <laughs> wrong the about upward. the 20, yeah. be wrong about Iraq, be wrong about the 2016 election, be wrong about Russiagate. Your job is secure. <laughs> uh, all right. But Michael, what you have been doing is, uh, since, uh, uh, you, uh, you were on our show last time, something very interesting. You've been kind of doing the struggle session thing, I feel. I you have. Know, you, you've I been have. doing some, some leftist, uh, media critique of, you know, popular culture. You have, and it's, taken off like a yeah. lot of people are watching your stuff on youtube at uh michael saba that's the name of uh your channel and like there's good stuff on there and lots of people are hearing it and listening to it it's really cool i appreciate you saying so leslie yeah you know uh inspired by y'all's example you know so i um I had been dabbling at doing like YouTube stuff here and there periodically, but I think shortly after this, you know, last uh, last time around, you know, I kind of I think it was especially after like I realized that like, oh, man, you know, my the, the door, the journalism door has slammed shut in my face <laughs> now. So I need to find like another platform. I need to find another way to get my message out there. So I was like, all right, you know, like I have some I have someone I work with who I'm very close with who I write scripts for his YouTube channel and we have like a good collaborative relationship. So it's like, hey, I want to learn from him and have him like give me the primer on like how to, you know, 
address topics, get my channel off the ground. So we did that. And yeah, you know, what I found was, is that the general audience on, on YouTube is actually like very hungry for what mm -hmm. you guys do. And I guess what I do on YouTube, like a leftist analysis of pop culture, we think of YouTube as this reactionary right wing wasteland. And it absolutely right. is, you know, like it's chuds as far as the eye can see, you know, they've pretty much, they've gamed the algorithms. They, they dominate the conversation. You know, like if you, if mm -hmm. there's a joke, you search for anything on YouTube and you're about three videos down the recommended rabbit hole until you arrive at Nazis and, you know, white genocide and great replacement sure. theories. Like they have, they yeah, have, or at that. least Joe Rogan. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, he's, he's the entry level, right? He's, right. he's the sugar pill to make it the rest of it go one. down smooth. Um, but you know, so what I found is that like, those are just the people who, are putting their voices out there and doing the stuff like that's not necessarily reflective of the actual audience on YouTube. Like if we provide people with an alternative perspective, they're going to go mm -hmm. for it. And sure as shit, they did. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah, just because uh, uh, PewDiePie is what was most popular doesn't mean that we should, like, give up that ground completely. You know what I mean? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I think that, you know, we should be going to the spaces where, you know, young people are and trying to get these ideas out to them. So I think the channel is really cool. And, uh, uh, yeah, you're doing some uh, uh, very cool stuff over there. And, yeah, holy shit, you're getting a lot of uh, a lot of views on these videos. God damn. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, that's the crazy thing, right, is that, like, so I have, you know, love video games, love anime, love all this stuff stuff and i like think about these things and think about how we can use fiction to tell stories about culture and help us understand where we are and where we're going and everything and you know i i look at what's going on on youtube and it's like well there's a lot of right wingers doing that but there's not mm -hmm. a lot of people on our side of the fence doing that so you know i i guess like one of the first ones that really took off for me was i did a, a video essay on synthwave music right i was like hey this mm -hmm. has this real interesting interplay between past and present and how we like look to the past for inspirations for the future and what can that say about mm -hmm. that so i took that approach and like sure as shit you know i got a bunch of views on that uh, i did the same thing about near automata an incredibly woke video game when you get down yeah. to it maybe not like woke in the western sense but like there's a lot of really yeah. great forward thinking. Maybe woke in the fan service sense, but yeah, uh, true. The, but true. the ideas. <laughs> yeah, uh, and you know, and again, like people were very, very receptive to that. Ditto. Um, again, something on Daria. Like I got, I straight up let the red freak flag fly on that one. You know, I said, hey, we're going to talk about Marxist alienation, and we're going to talk about <laughs> how this relates to this beloved '90s cartoon. And again, people, people eat it up. Like there's a real. I'm not going to call it a market, but there's an audience for this stuff out there. So the reason I bring this up is because I want to encourage other people to do this. Like I said, I think we we probably think of, you know, YouTube is no man's land. Forget it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's Stefan Molyneux and Joe Rogan and whatever. <laughs> like, just write that off. It's it's Sargon of Akkad and the rest of those shitheads. Like, just forget about mm -hmm. it. It's lost space. But it's not. We need to be fighting these cultural wars on this battleground, because if we cede the field of play to them, you know, like. I mean, yeah. we, we can get into the PewDiePie thing and everything, but like that freaks me out when you've got the most subscribed channel on YouTube, who is probably his audience is probably like predominantly young and he's, you know, fucking red pilling his audience, sending them like Nazi videos and, you know, uh, introducing them to Ben Shapiro and all that. Like right. that should give us pause because they know what they're doing. They're getting the next generation ready. And, you know, we need to start doing the same, guys. I'm with it. I agree with you. That's what we're trying to do with this podcast, too. So, you know, we're also doing really important work. Well, Michael, uh, Michael, you know, that was a great spiel you had. But <laughs> there is one bone to pick I have, you know. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. And I think Jack's going to be even more upset about this. You uh -oh. do have a video oh, yeah, on your it. channel it. <laughs> called Zack Snyder Ruins Everything. I wasn't going to bring it up. Yeah, but <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Look, okay, I am not a big Snyder fan. Jack is, so he's, everything. He's, no, he's about not, to. He's I about am to, not. I am. He's about to unload on you. 
but <laughs> no, no, but I'm not that, I do that's think Batman vs Superman is still very good and uh, too maligned, and I wish more superhero movies were like it. I, that's all I have to say. I, I I agree with all the criticisms about every other film he's had, but my Batman vs Superman is good, folks. I don't love all. I don't love Snyder. What's wrong with you? Although the visuals in Sucker Punch are pretty cool, actually. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he directs a good like trailer or something like that. I mean, Dawn of the Dead is okay. Dawn and Batman versus Superman are pretty good, actually. Yeah, I mean, he's got a couple of hits to his name, and as I said in the video, you know, he's a very technically competent filmmaker. This is a not a knock at his skill as a stylist or a director. He knows how to create a gripping and uh, emotionally engaging film. I think the point I was making was that, you know, with that movie, uh, he's he's given you the propaganda straight and direct. And I think for a lot of people who don't think about that stuff critically, like, oh, oh why are there all these Muslims praying in the opening credits of Dawn of the Dead? Uh, should I connect zombies and Muslims in my mind? Oh, mm. well, I'm not going to think about it. Like, I just want to give people the tools to be a little more <laughs> right. critical when they think about these things. He, okay. And you know, one th- he, they, there was an interesting clip that kind of went viral with Zack Snyder this weekend where he said like his, the reason he made Batman versus Superman was like a pre-reaction to what we are in now, which is the Mias, which is like this, you know, all the Marvel films, right? Mm. Like who don't, that don't really take any of the themes seriously and are just feeding us like TV episode after TV episode of watered down like comic book plots. And he said that like the reason like I, I made Batman versus Superman why people didn't like it is because like I really tried to, he wanted to do like the Watchmen of superhero movies, which uh, is yeah, like, yeah. like take these themes seriously. Like, no, they wouldn't all be fucking heroic. They're killers. They're, they're madmen. They're all, they're like grow up. Like they cannot be powerful and innocent at the same time. They cannot be that powerful and that innocent and that's bullshit. And so I feel like if Batman vs Superman came out maybe in a few years, it would be a little bit better um, contextualized. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm gonna I yeah, I was considering making a video about this, but like I'm just gonna come out and say it. Like I have revised and extended my uh, opinions on Zack Snyder. I think Zack Snyder is still bad. But when we compare it to the contemporary landscape of superhero-dumb, I don't think you can draw any conclusion except Marvel is way, way, way worse. Not (laughs) just for the effect it has on the culture, but the politics too. I'm going to say the politics Uh of these Marvel movies are even worse than what I was railing against in my Zack Snyder video. The politics of the Marvel movies are like, they are like just straight, they work with the the U.S., Military. At this point, all good. They are like military recruitment tools. I know that, like sometimes, like I know that people. I, I didn't see Captain Mar- or Captain Marvel yet, but and some people were like, "Oh, it's not as military recruitment y in the actual film." But I'm like, that's so bizarre. It is the rollout for Captain Marvel. The rollout for Captain Marvel was simultaneously about female empowerment and recruiting people to the Air Force. (laughs) I mean, just like the brazenness is like almost impressive. So I actually do. I I was I I said that the military stuff is not that prominent in the film as you would expect because it's presented as like, first of all, like the like the military are a bunch of jerks to her. And like she doesn't like get to do anything except for the fact that she happens to run into aliens like they're like the military is 
extremely sexist towards her right. personally. So it's like not really like she could have been like she could have worked for like a private company. Like you never see her like in combat or anything for the U.S. military. Like she could have like she for all we know, if you had told people that she just worked at Lockheed Martin, like it would have been the exact same movie. Mm, so mm. I don't know why the Air Force were like super hyped up for this because it kind of it didn't really make them look that good. Yeah, um, I was super high for that film. I barely remember any of it. Um, <laughs> that is you know, once, once again, it. like I mean, you see, like there, I, I don't know. I'm, ha- I have this thing. Maybe I'm just getting older, but like when I look at a, an image on a screen and I can see that, like it's pretty much just 95% CGI. Like my eyes lose right. focus and like my mind starts to wander and I lose the ability to like concentrate on whatever it is I'm looking at. I need like right. I need a, a, a physical prop or a practical stunt or a real person to like snap me back to reality. I also think that to be totally honest with you, like there the the DC, you know, and the and even Batman versus Superman can get kind of effects heavy, but there's something more filmic about those effects, and there's something a lot more video gamey about the effects in the Marvel movies. I don't know. I mean, like you know, I am extremely kind to Batman versus Superman, and I actually do think the movie like is good. I've rewatched it. I like the ultimate edition, but some of the reason why I you know even initially liked it so much is that it came out like the same year as. Captain America Civil War. And I do remember like watching Batman versus Superman and watching Captain America Civil War and seeing the difference in reaction to the two of those and feeling like, well, I think the world is insane. <laughs> I think the world is insane that Captain America Civil War, like this totally like just the plot of that movie doesn't make any sense. Actually, it, it, the plot it felt of like, that a, movie... like a filler episode. Like I'm watching Dragon Ball Z and it's like, all right, they're not fighting Frieza or Cell just yeah. yet. So we need like a filler episode to get them along the way there. The plot of that film also was about like uh, uh, Baron Zemo, like needed to get them all to turn on each other so he could get like Captain America in a place so he could like show him a video or something <laughs> like that or show Bucky a video. It doesn't make any sense. Like that has like the worst action scene I've ever seen at that airport. Oh god! It looks yeah, like they're yeah. su- it looks like they're using plates from like a fucking industrial film or something like that. That's the most boring set piece I've ever seen in my life. Um, and so some of my Batman versus Superman love is like kind of reactionary, I guess, because of how uh, uh, how much love uh, 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 Civil War got uh, and how unfair I thought. Th- I mean, that really is what it is. It's what you're saying. It's like if you compare Snyder movies against what they've been doing over at Marvel, it's just unfair. The way they treated Snyder. Well, it's it's all. Oh, go ahead, Leslie. Well, speaking of a movie that's been treated unfairly, that you helped helped you know do a little bit of a reevaluation of Street Fighter. Oh hell yes! Oh hell yes! I am so glad you did a move a video on the story of Street Fighter because as a kid, I love this goddamn stupid bad movie. There is so much there. There's so much. You have John Claude Van Damme playing an American, just straight up like a G.I. Joe American with the accent. You have Raul Julia in his final Tour de role. Force. And he's amazing in it. Absolutely amazing. Dying of cancer while wearing this big red leather suit fighting with John Claude Van Damme. It's an amazing film. Please tell our audience a little bit about why this film is so bad and so great. Oh, man. The story of Street Fighter. So, you know, uh, 
this was let's take a trip through the way back machine way 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 back to the early 90s i'm sure some of the people listening might not even have been born then so like strap in um so back then you know uh japanese pop culture was really starting to get big in the u.s especially through video games so a lot of movie studios were looking at hey we got that super nintendo and the sega genesis and all this stuff like what's going on with these video games we should start figuring out how to cash in on it so they basically came up with this idea like all right street fighter is a really popular arcade game now so let's you know we'll pick a a no-name director basically some guy who's got a couple screenwriting credits under his belt and you know we'll give him a a 30 40 million dollar budget if he can agree to get this film cut and shot in a year which is insane right like they told him in december like all right we need this ready by next christmas (laughs) so you know this guy like rounds up this crew including yeah jean-claude van damme kylie minogue which hey by the way very united colors of benetton cast in the street fighter movie like i really love and appreciate the diversity which we still seem to have a problem with all these years later right like we still struggle to have like diverse casts but i think this shows you that like hey you can do it right even in 94 anyway so so point being is that you know they fly this crew out to uh southeast asia to you know try to shoot this movie like in as quick a time as they possibly can you know they fucked a couple things up so then they have to fly to australia to do a couple more reshoots and then yeah they they hurry home and get it all edited and you know this really silly uh kind of over the top movie ends up you know kind of taking on a life of its own it's a box office smash like it does extremely well domestically and internationally and it comes to take on this kind of cult status as a legendary bad movie one because you have these very over-the-top moments like guile's speech that's like a famous youtube video the most epic speech in movie history or something you know it's guile giving his speech like who wants to go home and who wants to go with me like uh and you have that and of course raw julia's like shakespearean monologuing and chewing of the (laughs) scenery like even like the cheesy stunts and practical effects, like there's a lot of charm and there's a lot of heart to this movie. So that is ultimately the point I wanted to make with this uh, video I did, which is, hey, you know, you might think this is just a silly, bad movie. But like when you actually examine the artistry that goes into making a movie and everything that's required, like the production crew, the actors, the editors, the directors, like all of these movies are like labors of love. And even in bad movies, there's something to recommend them, even in a really kind of crappy action flick like Street Fighter. Man, I just love, I'm just looking at these clips and it just, it's so, it's just, just such a fun movie. It felt like everyone was having like the time in their lives and Raul Julia just gives it his fucking all mm-hmm. through every, in every single scene. Like you believe that he could be like a world dictator and like he was dying at the time. Like he made this film because his kids wanted him to do it because they like Street Fighter. And right. So this right. is like a gift he gave his kids to be in this uh, film and a gift he gave to all of us really. Yeah. uh, And so, I mean, so like that's one example of kind of like what I did uh, on my channel. And I think, you know, I didn't take an explicitly leftist tack with uh, the Street Fighter video, but, you know, you got to give them a little bit of entertainment before you give them the real hard dose of propaganda. So that's kind of what I do. You know, I got a couple sweetener videos to get the, the wider audience in and then I really give them the business. But yeah, I mean, encouraging people to think about art in a different way, because, you know, like I said, you know, people would just look at Street Fighter and think, ah, this is a silly movie. It's not really worth any deeper Mm -hmm. thought. Just like people would look at Near Automata and think this is a silly movie about sexy goth robots. Like, okay, it was fun to play, but like, why think about any of the bizarre esoteric references to philosophy? But like, if you do the work of kind of peeling apart those layers, you can see that often there's like a really resonant message there. And that's kind of what I, what I want to get at is, is using culture to speak to people emotionally and, and tell them stories they haven't heard. 
And yeah, and that's what we try to do here because whenever you're looking at any of these cultural products, like we're not trying, I, I, what I try to do is avoid like putting a leftist framework on it that doesn't exist, but leftism materialists. We believe that like the world is leftist, like that reality yes. uh, right. leans towards us. So what we're doing when we analyze these things is trying to find, and the world creates these games. So we're trying to find the reality, the leftist, the socialist, the communist reality behind all these games that speaks uh, to us and can speak to you and can speak to the masses through all these uh, things. Yeah. And oftentimes, you know, you don't have to dig very far to find those messages. I think Daria is another great example of that. Like this, I remember watching that show growing up. And even when I was a teenager, I recognized that like, not only does this have kind of like a great fuck the system attitude, but like also, you know, this show is directly addressing like what I felt myself growing up in like rural suburban Pennsylvania, you know, like you have material comfort, but you feel this like intense sense of alienation because country's not really going anywhere. You can see that like your prospects for the future aren't so great. Like you're going to be pretty downwardly mobile world seems like it's going to shit. So in the face of that, like uh, feeling alienated, feeling cynical, feeling disaffected, like that's a pretty normal human reaction. And so, and yet like, when I looked for, you know, like when I do these videos, I always try to like do a little bit of research ahead of time. And I was stunned. Like there's no critical commentary. You have this incredibly rich and influential source material. Like where is the pop feminist analysis of Daria? Like I couldn't find it. I wasn't seeing it. Like there's all of these like untapped cultural properties that are kind of just waiting for guys like us, guys, gals, trans, non-binary, whatever, to dive in and, you know, find ways to tease out meaning from these texts like uh, youtube is your oyster it is your playground right now and again to come back to what i was saying before like if you have an inkling of wanting to doing that doing something like struggle session or starting your own youtube channel where you do this analysis do it you know i i had like a thousand subscribers i had like two thousand subscribers when i started this shit you know a year or you know however many years ago or like the last time we did this podcast episode but my stuff has started to take off and i'm reaching way more people than I ever thought would be possible. And if, if a dummy like me can do it, you can do it too. You definitely can do it too. Hell yes. I, I do want to be clear though, that Jack and I are not dummies. And if you're trying to start a podcast, do not do it. It, yeah. it takes a lot of work to do struggle. It's complete, being a YouTuber so. is completely different. Okay. Yeah. If you want to do that, that's fine. But don't, don't, <laughs> if you come for the king, you best not miss. All right. <laughs> don't try, don't try to do what we do. Right. 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 I mean, that's why I'm here genuflecting y'all. You know, you know, <laughs> oh, <the> right <laughs> well, Michael, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, you know, so I, I just spent all this time shouting out my YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash C slash Michael Saba, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-S-A-B-A. But, uh, I, you know, let's not, you know, I'm not a big social media guy. We've been over that before. We don't need to talk about my YouTube channel anymore. Let's talk about an excellent podcast. I'm getting in on the podcasting game too, y'all now. Uh, it's called Something to Say, which is a roundtable, something to say as in Andre 3000 at the Source Awards, <laughs> South got something to say. And so this is a roundtable discussion of three of the top rap writers in Atlanta, not including me. We don't need the white boy on the mic. I'm just producing. Um, three of the top rap writers in Atlanta basically talking about hip hop through uh, specifically Southern hip hop through an explicitly socio-political cultural lens. So I'm nudging them. They're not quite as, uh, you know, they're not quite on the uh, waving the red flag train yet. But I think especially after seeing us, <laughs> we're going to get them there. Um, but so, yeah, like, you know, don't listen to Breakfast Club. My God, you know, why would you don't listen to <laughs> Joe Budden or Nicki Minaj? Like, why would you punish yourself doing this? Like, listen to actual Southern rap writers who live in Atlanta and are, who are producing journalism about one of the most vibrant cultural capitals of America right now. So that's the Something to Say podcast, S-U-M-N-T-O 
S-A-Y on SoundCloud and wherever else fine podcasts are sold. All right, great. Thank you so much for joining us, Michael. Yeah, thank y'all. It's it's been great coming back. I'm I'm glad we got to we got to do donuts on the liberal consensus. This is, you know, everything I wanted. Oh yeah. Peace, folks. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.